0: Welcome back to this film-not-rated branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. I'm Curtis. And I'm Eric. And we are here to talk about the movies we saw this week with a twist. On this show, there are winners and losers. The loser is the person with the most points. You get a point in one of two ways. You can either claim an opinion is fact, like the best way to watch movies is four on four different monitors at the exact same time. (laughs) Or you can say something subjective and either take the point, like uh, I think it's best to watch movies one a day or you can have 60 seconds to support your reasoning for your opinion by using objective details and avoid the buzzer. Like, I think it's better to uh, to watch one movie per day because it's easier for the mind to take in the, the information due to the clashing of tones, running uh, time length, and it's easier to remember what happens in which movie.
1: For example, if I'm binging Marvel movies and I want to remember what happens in which Captain America or Avengers movie, it's a lot easier if I watch them. In installments than if I watch them as one TV series.
0: So, the whole premise of the show, Eric. What did you watch this week?
1: Well, Curtis, this week I watched Hack O Lantern, which means we're gonna get to talk about other media some more and be simp's. And I watched Daughters of Darkness, mm-hmm. Sister, directed by Brian De Palma. The Crazies by George Romero, and I watched Season of the Witch by George Romero.
0: How many movies did you watch? Overlord!
1: That came out in 2018 for the first time. Overlord. Curtis! How many movies did you
0: watch this week? So, like you, I watched hack O'Lantern lantern and Overlord, but also, I watched Zadoichi movies 1, 2, 3, and 4, Big Trouble in Little China, Chaos Walking, and The Father
1: so we have seven you have seven movies eight nine together 10 11 12 13 (laughs) movies that we have to talk about on our special 10th episode we made it 10 episodes into something that's an achievement for us so we are going to (laughs) celebrate by going taking this concept to its extreme which is the bare bones the question that i want all of you out there to eventually be chanting why did you want to talk about this movie What should we start with? (laughs) (laughs) Let's start with what we watched together. Uh, Let's start with Overlord. Overlord. This stars, uh, what, Wyatt Russell, right? This stars, it's either Jovan Hovan, I'm not sure, Adepo, Wyatt Russell, Russell. Mathilde Olivier, and John Magaro, and Pilo Asbaik. I don't know how to say his name for real, but he was (laughs) Euron Greyjoy, and he plays a Nazi. He does. I'm gonna have so much fun trying to talk nondescript or nonjudgmental about that. Ooh, <laughs> so Curtis, why did you want to talk about Overlord? Uh,
0: so the uh, big reason is there was a lot of buzz about this movie. Um, I I think it's well known at 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 this point that this movie was meant to be part of the cloverfield universe
1: yes it was going to be the next it, it's referenced in cloverfield paradox right. or it was referenced in articles around the time cloverfield paradox came out that one of the concepts was going to be nazi zombies
0: right and at some point during uh production they decided to not tie this into the cloverfield universe and it's just its own thing yeah, and, it came, of- and it came and the odd thing is like if if you look at the movie based on the way that that the camera moves, uh, the way that lines are are delivered, and the way that plot points are, are laid out, it feels like a video game movie.
1: It feels like a video game movie. I'm 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 saying that to agree with you, mm-hmm. but we need you have sixty seconds to justify it. I'll have sixty seconds to justify it on the clock. Go.
0: So there are certain sequences that are long uh, running sequences that feel like they would be in an interactive video game, like say un- un- Uncharted during a during a bridge collapse or when when the ship is sinking in Uncharted Three, and you have to walk Nathan, Nathan Drake out. The camera moves in-, in a very similar aspect, and then you have. Uh,
1: no, I'm gonna also be part of that. I, I can also help justify. It. You want me to take over? Yeah, buzz take over. me in. Buzz you okay. in. Okay, don't buzz me. Um, so. I agree with you. Tracking shots feel like the way a camera follows characters in a video game. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way that there are clues and specific things picked up on. There are certain things that feel like quick time events. Like when he's trying to pull the tube out of the character's side. Yes. Uh, It feels like if you tap a button fast enough, it'll come out quicker. Because he's going to get caught if you don't pull it out in time and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It feels like there was consequence to the actions that feel like the kind of consequences in a video game. Then you have the levels... You have a place that you're trying to get to. You have a level on the outside and waves of enemies that they have to fight. You get to the next level. level. You have another wave of enemies you have to fight. You have a final boss that builds up. On top of that, the final
0: boss has multiple phases to the fight.
1: True. So there was, and there was like a mini boss with the scientist character. And Mm -hmm. I I hypothesized how they could have done that if this was a video game. And And, you know, there was just a lot of structure to this that feels like the framework of a video game. Small town area where there would be a small war zone where you would shoot at the Nazis that leads up to a central tower where you could, you know, go and do that. And that's the thing. A video game map feels like the setting of this movie. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, I have no opinion on. (laughs) I'm just
0: kidding. Uh, It's, 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 It's rather significant, I think that like most video game movies don't do well at the box office because it looks like they're trying to do the video game too much. This movie being not based off of any video game has its own way of going about it so it gets so it gets across that same feel without feeling like elements of a game are being shoehorned in.
1: Wyatt Russell looks as much like Kurt Russell as he does look like Wolverine <laughs>
0: uh, yes. Wyatt Russell's character is the side character.
1: Yes, he is a side character, but he's also sort of the leader of the pack that they are.
0: He's the commanding officer, He's yeah. the
1: commanding officer. And um the uh special effects mm-hmm. uh the computer generated and practical, the mix of all the effects that they did to make the zombies work, yes. reminded me a lot of the Thing Remake.
0: They did. I weirdly think they work a little bit.
1: Don't say it. Don't say it. I'm gonna say no. it. No, 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 no. We can make it through episode ten. With no added points to our totals. Here
0: we go. Let's try it. <laughs> okay. I won't say it. And then, so, like, the main character is played by, uh... What is it? That, that
1: actor who we've, you know... The, the, we've referenced before. Yes.
0: He's a very interesting... He's a pacifist. He is a pacifist, yes. He is a pacifist that was drafted into the military. So, uh certain choices that he... Noted
1: ma- by another character that he couldn't kill a mouse. Noted by another... basic tra- training.
0: Yes. He is the automatic outcast of the group, and... Uh, he makes emotional decisions where uh, his troop members are constantly uh, making strategic ones. Specifically during the I, interrogation scene where uh, Wyatt Russell is punching the Nazi officer, uh, his well, character's first instinct is, this is inhumane, we're better than this, stop doing that.
1: Also, at a certain point, he refuses to follow Wyatt Russell's orders in favor of saving the child. Yes. So, to speak for the, about the main character, to me... It's something to, it it, it feels unsubtle, but not to the point that it feels like you're being beat over the head with it. That he has uh, this arc uh, around his pacifism, but the interesting thing about his arc of going from being pacifist to violence, it's not out of desperation for his own life. Mm -hmm. It's out of taking responsibility for a choice that he made.
0: This is yeah. he,
1: he turned uh, the, the this time that he decides to get violent is because he deliberately turned someone who was dying into a creature. Mm-hmm. And when that thing becomes too dangerous, he finally snaps and beats it to death.
0: Right. But
1: doing he was responsible for that happening. I, I, I think it's noteworthy that that's different from what happens because it his character is propelling the action of the movie. And that's something that one of the YouTubers I like to follow, uh, I think his name is, he goes by Phil Mento. Okay. The character is driving the story forward. Mm-hmm. So when you move it, the characters are thrust into a situation. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, your protagonist is actively making almost all of the choices that they make. Yeah. He happens to have the set of skills that allow him to do that. He can speak French there in France. hmm so, he makes decisions about where they go. He actively makes choices about getting into, makes a choice to rescue somebody, makes a choice to turn somebody, makes a choice to kill somebody, uh, makes a choice to ignore his commanding officer. He is constantly propelling the story by his actions. Yes. And, as opposed to, like, usually there's a, but this happens, so then this happens, but so, but so. So, for example, Iron Man I talked about recently. Yes. Iron Man saves himself... With this technology that he creates. And then does a land he decides to shut down his weapons manufacturing. Mm. But he learns about his weapons, so he decides to destroy his weapons. Mm. But that leads the bad guy to find out about his plan, Ah. so that. So it turns into that, and he has some agency. I'm just saying this one is a striking example and that's another mm-hmm. thing that falls into it feeling like a video game is mm-hmm. you are one character in a video game in most cases
0: mm-hmm. going back to Uncharted everything that Nathan Drake decides to do in, in the Uncharted games is directly what is propelling the game forward
1: that there's this nature that it takes the concept of World War II and takes liberties with it in an escapist way that is not like dead snow or these B movie zombie snow you know like things This is the idea of a B-movie, but clearly with a bigger budget Mm -hmm. and taking itself a little more seriously. Um, Not too... uh, mm, mm, uh, (laughs) Not too seriously, I said. Oh, well, maybe too seriously in some people's opinion. But it's taking itself relatively seriously compared to a lot of movies that fictionalize things Uh, like uh, Inglorious Bastards. Mm -hmm. Fictional history? Yes. Yes. It's interesting to me that we can play on this kind of fictional history uh, because we have things like Dead Snow Mm -hmm. where we have these B movies that have been uh, taking World War II and kind of uh, joking about it. Mm -hmm. And then you have something like Inglorious Bastards that has dark comedic elements Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, the Quentin Tarantino was trying to get a laugh out of people in the way that Hitler died. Gun riddling the body kind of thing. This movie makes it seem like we're in a place in history where the gravity of World War II—we're mm-hmm. not making saving private Saving Private Ryan anymore. No, we're not. I would
0: go back to this movie if I was looking for kind of a structured, escapist a- um, attitude. Because in the end, the movie is highly structured in the way the characters pro- progress through the uh, story and how everything and how all, all the beats are laid out.
1: Uh, I would go back to this movie for its uh, sense of spatial logic mm. in the way that it, it tells a contained story mm-hmm. uh, and then takes you through the structure that it sort of promises. Mm-hmm. It tells you what you're going to get and then it delivers. it.
0: So on to the next one. What should we talk about? The other one that we watched together?
1: o Lantern. o Lantern. So, was the first movie that either of us watched that Red Litter Media has watched on Best of the Worst.
0: Yes. So, uh, we went into this with uh, with a skewed vision. Um,
1: well, you're the devil's son, so it was really interesting
0: because. <laughs> how dare you talk about my father that way? Uh,
1: <laughs> I just said you were his son. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not giving an opinion. That's
0: fine. Uh, no, but, like, uh, so we went in. So we, yeah, we uh, went into this knowing what what to expect. Uh, knowing that this is supposed to be a, a cheesy B-movie slasher. We, we went into this with, uh, with a skewed vision because we'd already heard reviews about it on
1: best of, on, on red letter media's best of the worst involving this episode. No, I'm going to justify skewed. What I think you mean by that. And what I wanted to, I wanted to clarify this too. The, the interesting thing about watching this was we have this sub- context put onto it by the opinion of other people. Yeah classifying it as one of like the worst, you know? Yes. The quote unquote worst.
0: Because we were rather surprised at, well, at basically, some of the aspects of the movie.
1: For when it came out, which was late seventies. Uh
0: this one was like eighties, like
1: Yeah, it was. It was eighties, yes. <clears throat> it does seem massively low budget, massively under directed everything. Right.
0: The film was made for five hundred thousand dollars in the nineteen eighties.
1: Okay. And the biggest standout detail that I thought would be something that made it feel to them like a Best of the Worst movie would be the uh, audio looping. Yeah. The way the performances felt different to the ear they didn't strike the ear the same way they did yeah through most of it was audio looped and dubbed yes and so the characters don't look like don't sound like they're standing in the field they look like they're standing in.
0: no they sound like they're in a booth re- yes repeating lines that they've said earlier so
1: and so that was the biggest factor that felt like the reason why yeah. it was not a best of the worst episode and but they're... the graphic effects for the kills yeah did not feel out of place for other movies at the time period
0: no I mean there there were a few that uh were showing their uh, budget like specifically the the kill with the girl with the tattoo on her ass mm. with the with the the, the spike thing too at uh, the neck you you could see That did
1: look like magic marker by the way.
0: It did look like magic marker but uh, the during, tattoo. but the, during that kill you could see the where 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 they placed the uh the uh, puncture wounds mm-hmm. and and everything it didn't blend into uh, the skin so it just like was on there. Okay, I can understand that. Everything else though was Pretty well done. It looked professional. Like not not a whole lot to. Fuck. How well done was it, Curtis?
1: <laughs>
0: fuck me.
1: Um, that it was not what we expected because our no. expectations were set by their yeah. review. So what is it? If you didn't know about this because of Red Letter Media, would what would you? Why would you want to talk about this? I know I would want to talk about this. so.
0: There's a lot like specifically the thing that that caught my attention the most during this movie was uh was the camera movement and and the certain shots were uh, framed and like other than that like uh,
1: it actually seemed like it was framed and shot like someone who has practiced direction before. Yeah,
0: it looked like someone put effort and thought into what they were filming and how everything was, was was staged.
1: There are pumpkins. There are deliberate efforts to make things look like fall. To give it an mm-hmm. ambience of, of being at the Halloween yeah. time. And yet there are all of these standout things like the dancer in a wig. But I think he's meant to be an, a character that is out of place with other characters. So mm-hmm. you can buzz me on that if you want. People at home. But... He's dancing under the stairs at this party. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing, like, oh my gosh. And and that whole party. I feel like if you could somehow remove the Halloween party from this, you would have a movie that feels like an unrecognizable from other movies of the time period movie. Oh, yeah. It wouldn't be able to stand out as particularly, without meaning this negatively, and I hope listeners can understand this, it's trying to be trashy. Yeah. Kind of like how Rob Zombie's brand is sort of trashy.
0: Yeah. It follows all the tropes that you would see from a typical slasher fic.
1: Well, it it, it doesn't, I don't think.
0: We have uh, gratuitous nudity throughout it. We have characters that are assholes that we don't want to see live.
1: But the assholes don't die. They're not made assholes just so they can die. Okay. That to me is the trope. And the trope is, you know, the tropes of a slasher movie to me are the gratuitous nudity happens when the victims are either getting killed or right after they've had sex and, like, you know, they they get killed. This movie plays on the expectations that you have of someone who watches slasher movies. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a little bit of Hot Fuzz. Yeah, it did. You expect... Now, it's not hard to figure out. I don't... <laughs> Shit. Um... You <laughs> expect this team of people to be the killers. hmm Okay? But, usually the twist in this kind of movie is that you're looking for the killer, it turns out to be killers. Yeah. In this movie, you're looking, suspecting the killers.
0: And it turns out... And it up- turns
1: out to be whatever it turns out to be. Yeah. Uh, because I genuinely think people should go look at this on Shutter. Um Now... You, here's what you're not going to get. And this was the interesting thing for me. This is why I wanted to talk about it. This is my only thing that I had really on this movie. Okay. The movie that this is not, but laid the framework for, was two children, one of whose grandfather is the actual father of one of the children. Mm-hmm. You don't know which one. One came up to become a police officer. One came grew up to become a Satanist or anarchist. Mm-hmm. The police officer is investigating a string of murders, Mm -hmm. possibly being done by the cult that the other brother is a part of. Mm -hmm. And they come to a head, there are twists and turns. That is the movie that this could have been. Instead, what it is, is a 40-year-old brother Mm -hmm. and his police officer 20-year-old brother grow up. You know exactly which one is the son of the grandfather and someone is killing people the police never really quite catch on to it Mm -hmm. and then the ending has a couple twists and turns yeah and it's exactly as substanceless as i just kind of if you're like wait was there a little middle part was there supposed to be something no it just it's look at this person oh look there's a kill look at this person oh look there's a kill a kill there's another kill up the end oh hey wait a minute though twist
0: yeah so here's the thing, like, so the only reason why I would go back to this to uh, this movie is is because of the Halloween iconography that covers the uh, movie, and it's gonna be one that I go back to either seasonally or bi-seasonally uh, whenever the time presents itself.
1: And I also think it's fair to say that there's comedic timing and some intentionally comedic performances, whether it was the will of the director or not.
0: Yeah, uh, High Pike, the grandfather, was hamming it up throughout the entirety of the movie. I he he was part of part of the reason why I was. Uh, invest through a like of the
1: occasionally film. putting on a list occasionally not yeah you know th- there's a lot i i feel like there's some actors that felt like they needed to laugh at themselves in their performances so tell me about zadoichi
0: zadoichi is a daredevil masseuse who works for uh the yakuza why daredevil the guy is a blind swordsman who's uh, hearing in other senses is so well developed to the point that when he's fishing next to another samurai, he can tell that the other samurai is ill because he can hear the subtle differences in the way that he breathes. And mm-hmm. even points out that his fish, Bobber, is moving and tugging when the samurai who is not blind and can feel it, everything didn't even notice it.
1: So Marvel Comics Daredevil, yep. not... uh not da- daring stunt performer daredevil yes okay so what makes you want to talk about what would make you want to watch the first movie in particular
0: it's the most developed in the sense that everyone that that uh, everything is is laid out and there, there, there there's a clear sense of story and development going on it's uh you uh, learn about zadawichi you learn what he does he be- because of his uh condition where he's blind he's seen as a cripple and therefore not able to make Friends he finally meets a, he finally gains a friend in the form of the samurai in a rival uh gang and has to ultimately fight this person to to uh, the, the death in order to resolve the conflict <laughs> The Tale of Zadoichi continues which is the name of the actual movie Uh so when
1: did it continue
0: it continues about a year after the original uh, telling of the first story, and Sadoichi is going back to the village where the events of the first movie took place, so he can pay respects to the samurai that he killed. Along the way, he runs into other sem- uh, other y- yakuza factions. One that is trying to kill him because he gave a massage to one of their leaders, and because they don't want to, and because they don't want their location revealed, instead of asking him to not talk about the location. They decide to kill him. So on, so so also, also along the way, you have this new yakuza group trying to kill Yadoichi and you have the old yakuza group,
1: the hand and the foot,
0: who uh, uh served in served in the first movie, are now trying to kill him because of uh, past grievances. Along the way, once he gets back to the village, he runs into his brother. They get into a fight. They come to terms with their differences. His brother dies, and he kills the head of the old Yakuza group. The uh, Nutella of uh, Zaruichi is a slight continuation of the second one where you learn that the brother of the Yakuza head that Zaruichi killed is now after him for revenge and it's not the fact that he killed the brother and so because he killed his brother he he wants revenge he wants to get I'm revenge i not gonna
1: lie this sounds like the fast and furious franchise if daredevil was the star
0: it might be uh oh
1: good gosh
0: but uh he wants revenge not because he wants revenge because his brother was killed he wants revenge because his brother was killed by a blind man and he can't sit with the fact that a blind man beat his brother that's that, I have that-
1: no opinion on that
0: well, that is a small portion of the movie because the actual movie is about Zatoichi running into his old, old sensei who has fallen on hard times and is now resorting to uh, unscrupulous means to uh, to uh, to uh, make a living. And in the end, Zatoichi has to kill his master while at the same time finding a way to get repentance from the Yakuza group who's trying to kill him. And he becomes... Zatoichi the Fugitive. The fourth movie. <laughs> the fourth movie. Where Zadoichi now has a price on his head because a Yakuza group... Another one? It's, it's, it's all about Yakuza. Don't forget, he, he, he is a masseuse for the Yakuza.
1: Okay. That is
0: his job. He just happens to be very well trained in the art of the sword. A Yakuza group has put a price on his head because reasons of honor and people being killed by a blind man. Along the way, he runs into a girl that was first introduced in the first Zatoichi movie, reappears in the second Zatoichi movie, and appears again in this fourth one, who has now married uh, a new Yakuza boss. And the whole point of the movie is, is uh, Zatoichi making amends to a member of this group that he killed specifically to the mother. They still can't deal with the fact that a blind man is better than them, so they try to put him into a trap. They try to kill him. Uh, he kills everyone else. The girl that he likes is now dead due to this boss uh, killing her because she touched his sword. And it ends with uh, Zadawichi no longer having a bounty on, on, on his head and going along his his uh, merry way.
1: Does it feel open to continuing? The they never
0: do. They never feel open to continuation, but they always continue. So I <laughs> wonder how the okay. next one's going to continue.
1: <laughs> so.
0: That's all the Zadawichi movies that I've seen so, so far. So what
1: sticks out to you about Daredoichi? Daredoichi. Like yeah. what? What keeps what kept drawing you to keep watching?
0: Every single movie he goes through a specific growth, and that growth does carry over to the next one. Where in spe- in specifically the third movie, Zatoichi, the the new tale of Zatoichi, he has a chance to leave the yakuza life behind by marrying the daughter of his uh, sensei, and actively tries to not uh, get into a fight. He's at that point he's only fighting people. Yeah. To uh, if if they're Bad, regardless of what spectrum they fall on. Spe- like specifically at the end of the uh, third one, he has to fight a bunch of Tangu who are these uh, outcast Ronin. That d- despite the fact that 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 they're not yakuza, they're still doing a terrible thing by kidnapping someone to get money. So after his uh, marriage proposal was refused by the uh, girl's brother, he no longer has a reason to hold back, but still chooses to only fight those that are deemed bad in his eyes. I guess.
1: Okay,
0: and that carries over to the fourth movie where he kills someone who was trying to fight him. He, he was trying to kill Zatoichi to get the bounty on his head so he'd have money for his mother. And so as an act of repentance for killing the mother's child, he gives her the bounty that he was trying to get for killing Zatoichi. And so the he, so as, as the movie goes goes on, there's, there's, there's more characterization, but the movies are only about an hour and a half apiece, sometimes less. The second movie is only like 71 minutes.
1: Um, look-wise, do they feel more cinematic or do they feel more documentary or what are they...
0: The first two feel more documentary. As the stories go on, they, they, they become more cinematic.
1: Okay. And uh, black and white?
0: First two are black and white. From that point on, they're all in color. Okay. Oh, yeah. The other thing that I will mention is that this has 25 films made in the span of 10 years. All starring the actor same actor. as Zatoichi? All starring the same actor as uh, Zatoichi.
1: So I'm going to talk about Sister. Okay. Because I watched Daughter of Darkness and the big thing that I wanted to point out about Sister is that I don't know how much this is going to extend to other Brian De Palma movies. I know he made Scarface so I know that that movie does not have this element in it. Mm-hmm. But there's this concept of taking a certain type of uh, dysfunction or abnormality um, and talking about it in a way that is grounded in reality. But presenting a play on it that could create a serial killer. Okay. So in Dress to Kill, you have the idea of someone who is transgender. You talk... You They actually have a documentary play in the movie about a real transgender person, about how there's no link between that and any kind of violence from the dysphoria that happens or anything. Hmm. So they make a point to say that, but you then have a serial killer. You know, who has this dysphoria or whatever. Sister, you have Siamese twins mm-hmm. who are separated, and for one reason or another, the trauma of this creates a killer. Okay, so it's the simple investigation by a news reporter of uh Margot Kidder, uh, Lois Lane from the original Superman, or the wife of James Brolin in the original Amityville Horror. Okay, she uh, is a French Canadian. Actress, she's so she's putting on an accent. Who is has killed somebody, okay. and so that's it. That's the story. She's investigating and trying to prove that she killed somebody, and then she finds out about it. Just okay. like *Dressed to Kill*, the guy, someone's investigating a killing. They want to learn more about it. And they find out who the killer is. Like, it's it's very similar to Dress to Kill. And that that really stuck out to me because the way that we talk about David Fincher, Martin Scorsese, uh, the Safdie brothers, it's like they have a story to tell that's yeah. in them. I think that's Brian Uh
0: So, uh, in line with the first movie we talked about, uh, this next movie I watched was... Big Trouble in Little China, directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell. Wyatt's daddy. Wyatt's dad. So, Big Trouble in Little China is a PG-13 John Carpenter movie about crazy stuff going down.
1: No, it is. It's, it's legitimately about the nonsensical yeah. uh, elements of, of just like a downtown yeah, uh, Chinatown yeah. area. And Jack Burton, uh, this truck driver, gets caught into this... Uh, what feels like a Mortal Kombat esque '90s Mortal Kombat esque yeah. world yeah. of he's, he's, mysticism.
0: He, yeah, he he's the actor that like gets unwittingly thrust into a situation that he's first to solve, but also not really. He kind of like a- is 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 actively trying to solve it because he wants to get his truck back.
1: How did it feel in relation to They Live?
0: It's very similar in tone. Uh, I, I think this one's a little bit more uh, un uh, not serious than uh, than a uh, They uh, Live because. That Big subjective
1: Trouble... opinion. It's less serious. Go for it. Sixty
0: seconds. The, well, because the first thing that Big Trouble in Little China does is, is it opens up the possibility that magic is real.
1: Aliens are already on Earth among us and affecting us. I mean, some people would.
0: Yeah, it's not instantly apparent though. Like the first th- like one of the first shots you uh, see is. Oh,
1: that's true. They do try to.
0: Yeah. Okay. So with they live, we discussed uh, Roddy Roddy Piper's character. Mm-hmm. I-, I think uh, Kurt Russell's uh, Jack Burden is the. The, uh, prototype for for that that character because Jack Burton is the guy who is kind of like the wily man talks with a John Wayne accent always quotes himself for saying things that he never said you know all, what all Jack Burton says at a time like this
1: uh, okay you're killing me okay um
0: <clears throat> that kind of thing it, it's that throughout the entire movie he has this like macho machismo so
1: John Carpenter doesn't seem he seems to want to play in low budgets yeah. He seems to trust that it's going to be a ride that will work for an audience despite limits to the budget. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit and they live with the black and white sequences and I feel feel like that's pretty apparent yeah. in Big Trouble in Little China. The way that they build sets oh, and yeah. things
0: like that. And it's just the the whole story of it too is like it, it's out there like there there's this uh, ancient being who has been cursed to eternity by having no physical form and the only way he can get a physical form now is by finding a girl with that with with jade eyes and he has yeah. to marry and sacrifice one. However, he comes across two. So he decides to marry one and kill the other so he can live his days in bliss.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it is. It's very like it's very operatic like that. And yet it's it's not. It's like this is this is not quite right. Okay? If he took some combination of a WWE wrestler and one of the blue collar comedy tour guys, and you put him at, in an audience at the classiest opera you can imagine, mm-hmm. and the movie were just recording his commentary overlaid on the opera. I feel <laughs> like you would hit <laughs> something think, somewhat of the tone. Yeah. Now, that opera would also have to be a space magic. Opera. Yeah.
0: Like and, and this goes in like to the like going through it this time I I noticed some of the lines were delivered very strange, but I also think that was the What po- way? Strange. Like uh intentionally staged. Like, like Okay.
1: What makes you think intentionally?
0: Well it's it's kind of the like the, like this very over the top kind of way.
1: Oh, you mean like uh kind of overacting, yeah. stage acting kind of Yes. It, it seems like stage acting more than y- it seemed like
0: It seems yeah it, it, it's that uh, throughout a lot of the movie, like with 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 every character, it's it's, okay. it's it's stage acting, and I think it's meant to be delivered that way. But if you're not in on on that, it what I think the I, I, well, this
1: I, is a movie you'll know really quick whether or not you're on board for the ride it's taking you on, right? And so if you like it, then you'll watch it. If not, you won't. Yeah. And that to me was the interesting takeaway that I was going to say for this movie is okay. Big Trouble in Little China. It does so- something. Where the movie, not the same way Overlord does it, lets you know what kind of ride you're in for, Mm -hmm. and then follows through on it in ways that are both expected and unexpected. Yeah. Um, Whereas Overlord, you kind of can tell what's going to happen, and you're just waiting for it to deliver on that premise. Mm -hmm. And Big Trouble in Little China, you don't. Yeah, but you will know for sure whether or not you care to find out. Right, Uh, really quickly. Yeah,
0: big, big, big trouble in Little China has a very specific sense of humor, and if it's not your type of humor, you're gonna tune out very quick. I think. The thing that always brings me back to this movie is, is uh, just the sheer imagination of uh, John John Carpenter, and it's 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 a world that I can find myself lulling into and just enjoying the ride every single time.
1: So I don't want to like keep putting the final stamp on it or whatever, but you did it pinged something in my brain. A, a very Western view on Eastern culture. And that can sometimes be good and that can sometimes be bad. But I don't feel like this movie takes itself seriously enough to warrant criticism for the way it depicts. You know, because it's not trying to really depict Eastern culture. It's no. trying to depict a fantasy that he creates, and he's trying to. Joke about the Western's perception of that distorted view of things. Yes, I think so. So, Mm -hmm. Daughters of Darkness. Daughters of Darkness. Yeah, it was made in 1970s and is an approach on vampires that I had always heard about but never quite seen, Mm -hmm. which is the concept of these figures that don't necessarily have fangs and not all of the mythology applies to them. (laughs) Okay. Alright. Twilight. Okay. Okay? If you take away the sparkle skin thing and the sun actually kills them, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you have basically the same creature. Okay. But the, the the really... The whole story of this movie is just a couple catches the attention of one of these creatures who has what you and I would essentially call a familiar. Okay. And attempts to manipulate her way into grabbing a new familiar in one member of the couple. They're they're just they the couple just got married, they're on a honeymoon, but it is also largely about male violence. Okay. I, I wanna say that there had to be something about the time that this came out which is like seventies, sixties. Mm-hmm. Um seventy one. So just just after the end of the sixties, that is like feminism female empowerment something early wave of this form of like getting out of under the thumb of, of a potentially abusive or violent one there's this girl who's probably not from an economic class that this guy's family would approve of uh-huh. and you get this impression of that and and, and there are these dangers that she she's put through and and it makes the um vampire seem like you know a safe alternative and, and this kind of thing but but they are undeniably creatures. And, and it's almost to a certain extent, you you, you wouldn't know that. And, and the biggest takeaway for me is the way that this story keeps you guessing about how it's going to deliver on its premise mm-hmm. until the end. Okay. You're never 100% sure. They never straight up tell you or have the characters act outright in a way that you know exactly what their motivations are. Until the very end of the movie, where it then continues to escalate in actions and, and violence until the last, the, the second to last scene. And then there is one scene wrapping up and concluding the movie. And so that ability, that ability to delay and, and allow tension to rest is i think unique to this one okay uh but there is something i will say about all four of the movies that i looked at from this area is that every one of them could be serviced very well by a remake the only issue with this one is i'm not sure how it would fit in context in the same way that uh i'll talk about this soon season of the witch i'm not sure how the context would translate to modern day
0: Uh, newest One of the newer m- movies I saw this week. New Cha- movie. New movie, Chaos Walking, starring Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley.
1: Bit of backstory. A lot of people seem to know this. Random people don't seem to know this. so I'm going to lay this out just in case. This was shot five years ago in 2017 and has been struggled to actually get finished and put out since. It's um, something that you've seen in movies like uh, The Seventh Son um, with... I want to say Jeff Bridges and uh, the guy from Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. And uh, 47 Ronin with Keanu Reeves uh, before it. Okay. Where a movie has basically been in production and been warped and twisted because they're not quite sure how they want to sell it until finally a product is put out because they're worried about how much time and money has been spent on it and their return on it. And so this movie was not made with a lot of faith. Yeah. So.
0: So, uh, one of the first things that's got to me is that this this movie takes place on a, on a planet where... Every male thought is heard, and all the female thoughts are not. Daisy Ridley uh, comes from a family who comes from Earth. She was actually born on the spaceship going up there because it's a 68-year trip.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: So she crash lands onto this uh, planet, and she plays the fish-out-of-water role where Tom Holland, with with his teenage hormone brain, has to show her around the world and get her to a facility where she can contact her ship to tell her how things are going on down on 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 the planet and also so the the ship can actually come in and bring more people it, it does a lot of interesting things uh like uh, that don't have a solid uh reason for being in, in the movie like i'm like I'm, i mentioned before that
1: oh is it kind of like what i was talking about with some things in some of the anime movies we watch where they present an idea but then they don't explore it
0: something like that oh uh, but the, the, the thing that this movie touches upon the most is the idea of, of groupthink and how and how it can be a, a venomous thing where the all the women on on the planet have, have been killed off and the excuses that the Spackle the, uh, the, uh, the uh, original in, inhabitants of the uh, planet, have killed them off for some reason that is never explained. There's a, like, there, there was a war and the women were killed off for some reason. What you learn later on is that the leader of the of the uh, village that we're introduced to, uh, played by Maz Milkinson.
1: Mads Mikkelsen.
0: Maz Mikkelsen. Has the ability to use his, his thoughts to actually use group thing to uh, get the men who can have their voices. Uh,
1: oh, so you might not be able to predict how he did it, but it sounds like one of those things where there's a convenient uh, scapegoat there's an alien race, and they're the reason yeah. the women are gone. But and clearly, the governor of the town, like in the Lone Ranger. Yeah. Like I, we, I talked about how in the Lone Ranger, the stuff of that movie that that resonated with me with that movie was was this, you know, when when you get to the point that you get to the reveal that the the always like the police captain is the bad guy. So like, there's a bad guy out there. Oh, I bet he's being funded by yeah. some politician. Right. You
0: know, like. So when I got in in, in in into this movie and saw Maz Mickelson playing the role that, that, that he was instantly, I'm like, oh, so there's a villain. But then it, as it goes along, something happens to make you think, oh, well, maybe he's not the person, but no, he's the person. Uh, And then like, there is one thing that the movie does touch on, but does not go into at all. It's the idea of who's the alien, the people Coming to the planet to find a, a new life or the original inhabiting things like you would think that the people, who, the are people coming, who are coming. In, yeah. yeah. But when Tom Holland is pre- presented this idea, he, he says, no, they attacked us. They're the aliens. And that's his whole reasoning. And they don't go any uh, further than that.
1: Uh, so, see, that's that's an interesting thing to get into, though, that the idea of a dynamic of someone who can be taught something since birth yeah. or from a young age. And that, that that's just who they are. And that's how they yeah. accept. And they're not open to like any kind of, you know, that. That's one of those things I just knew. I I, I haven't. I have chosen not to watch *Chaos Walking* so far, mm-hmm. because basically, from what I heard from production, it's one of those movies that may have had concepts that I would want to see, mm-hmm. that the production has adjusted to try and create a product that would be as consumable as possible. Yeah,
0: and that's where Daisy Ridley's role come, comes in because she's the fish out of water. Because she's the newcomer, uh, she has the advantage of seeing the situation with fresh eyes one of the conversations is so you just believe everything that this man's telling you and the fallback is this man's a war hero uh-huh. but uh, so she is the person who is bringing in new n- new ideas that's kind of helping tom tom holland along a- and there are a few plot elements in here that i think could have been done better that i'm not going to go into to avoid too many spoilers but i'll talk about them off
1: season of the witch uh, it's directed by George A. Romero, the original creator of the *Of the Dead* series—not *A Living Dead*, *Dawn of the Dead*, *Day of the Dead*, so on and so forth. It is a movie made set in the '70s about a woman who meets a woman, and just in that culture of that time, uh, people were open to a lot of things and exploring a lot of things. And uh, so, if you think of that '70s show mm-hmm. and you think of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of lifestyle, you're focusing on the adult group here. So imagine you're looking at a, a movie where Kitty Foreman. Uh, learns that Midge, next door, Donna's mom, is uh, gonna try out witchcraft. Uh, but that's not, you know, what it feels like. It feels like it's taken very seriously and it is taken as, like, a horror. And and yes, you will get the mic drop of Season of the Witch in this movie. Uh, the song that, that you think of when you hear that title. And the thing about this movie is that you have the central character go through an arc of not being comfortable with her life being introduced to something that she grows into a certain power and it overcomes certain obstacles and it grows to make her comfortable with her life through tragic consequence. So in a certain way it's like the it's like the the horror take on the hero's journey kind of thing. Okay. And so I feel like I've seen this structure before. But I will say the actress makes the story feel believable, the the direction makes it feel grounded. And the way that he's experimental with lenses and the photography in dream sequences versus in the life that they're regularly leaving, and a lot of the edits, particularly smash cuts to people's faces, are really distinctive to this movie versus even other movies he's made. It's like shaking a style off.
0: So the last movie I watched this week was The Father this is a movie about a father and daughter relationship where the daughter has to deal with her father going through dementia and all the and all the trials and tribulations that that would uh, entail so not only do you get the movie through the tale of anthony hopkins eyes who who is playing the father so you have the unreliable narrator feel where not not only are our characters being swapped out for uh, for uh, different actors whenever he can't remember a person's face it's not edited in chronological order time is warped and twists and intertwines in weird ways that, uh, makes you just as confused as, as Anthony Hopkins' a character is. And at the same time, you get the full emotional effect that this is having on his daughter and what she's doing. So
1: we've been referencing this comment, uh, from uh, an Oscar speech from a while ago, that movies on empathy machine. And this one is trying to function as an empathy machine for people who are experiencing dementia uh i will say uh florian zeller the director was interviewed by ricky valero uh host of the music city drive-in uh founder of the music city drive-in uh and you can find that on his uh youtube webpage. um the i have not seen this movie yet Mm -hmm. i want to see this movie and but i know that you have a big reason why you would want to talk about this
0: there is uh
1: very frustrating feeling that I know I have felt and many creators have felt for different things. Sure as hell, the director of The Little Things felt it when he watched Seven. Oh,
0: yeah. So not too long ago, I had this exact same idea for this exact same movie where I had the idea of making a horror film where the whole movie is based around the main character uh, going through the symptoms of dementia and the horror coming from the unknown of what's going on around him that was the basis for this. And when I heard about this movie, I was notably now, that, fresh.
1: That was personal to you, but we don't have to go into yeah. why like you, it was coming from a place in your life where you know that someone was suffering from it and yeah. you wanted to sort of share that.
0: Yeah. So they
1: did things that
0: I wanted to do when I thought of, um, thought of this, but then they did things that I wouldn't have thought about. Uh, for one thing, I didn't think about uh, uh, changing uh, the sets for whenever the father thinks he's in a place that he's not. I wouldn't have thought to edit the movie in the way that uh, time is is unreliable. Like th- there are certain conversations that are heard twice from different per- perspectives and different contexts. There are things that happen that you aren't sh- that you're not sure actually happened because you don't know what's real and what's not. It's 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 the whole movie is a massive enigma, and it gets to the point where you wonder minus the end if anything ever happened at all.
1: So The Crazies is the movie that I mentioned that has a remake already. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- when uh, Which movie would you say is quote-unquote simpler? The Dawn of the Dead original or remake?
0: Uh, I personally think the original is simpler.
1: Okay. Uh, which do you think is simpler? The original Nightmare on Elm Street or the remake? The original. Okay. Freddy's killing kids. They find out how to try to stop him. The end. Freddy's killing kids... They're muddled in 2010. They're like they're not sure if he was guilty or not. They find out, you know, the, the twists and turns and blah blah blah. Yeah. Okay, a lot of remakes try and add something to the original to justify creating a remake. Yeah, the Crazies remake simplifies the original. The original is George a. Romero to having a a different take on the concept of zombies. Now I will say something the original has that hasn't been replicated. What it is, is a virus that's going around that you're not sure that people have. Mm -hmm. And the simple virus is, there's really no other word for it. They're crazy. So someone's holding a gun to their head and they go, (laughs) what are you doing? You know, and and this is in the middle of being persecuted by the government and they're under martial law and they're locking down the town because this virus is out. And so when you see a person lose contact with reality Mm -hmm. and the actors perform, you know, out of step with how their emotions should be and that kind of thing, then it gives you that sense of like... You know, someone shooting off people who are approaching him, who are gun firing back at him to try and defend himself and a woman he's with, when he runs out of bullets and puts his gun down, the last person who comes in sits down and just sits next to him and his dead wife and is like, that's wild. That's wow. And that in and of itself is a different form of trying to be scary than what's in the remake where you have the zombie makeup and you have the characters whistling ominously and you have them doing this kind of thing. So I will say that is the one thing that's present in that movie that I've never seen in any other movie, the original Crazies. All right. Apart from that, the main characters of the remake Mm -hmm. are a subplot that feels kind of like the main plot, but also is just basically one of two main plots where the government is trying to come up with a cure and they're trying to escape the town. Uh, so what this movie is, is basically at as many different levels as they can look at it, watching what would happen to a town that uh, suffers an outbreak, and the decisions that you would make all the way up to the president on how you would handle uh, containing that outbreak. Which, after the year 2020, seems odd. And off. I can actually say this objectively, inaccurate to what we ended up experiencing. Mm-hmm. If it, it was as if COVID reached the United States... So they immediately went into a government-mandated quarantine and lockdown around the airport in that area, and the uh, they came up with this thing. They they went to go send uh, supplies on a plane so that they had an excuse that this plane was carrying something potentially nuclear, so that if they needed to nuke the town to stop people from getting out, they could do it, and they would have an excuse prepared. prepared that and then if that wasn't able to contain the virus or whatever there would be radiation as an excuse for a lot of other things that are going on oh god you know so like you have people talking about this at the upper levels what we're, what they're going to do and privilege things then you have the people who are trapped in the town and don't understand why you have a scientist that's brought in who's trying to dictate to people what he knows but he's getting pushed around into the wrong places because all the military personnel are just following orders to shove everyone they see into quarantine areas. Mm -hmm. And the guy is like, there's no credentials because they're not prepared in advance for this sort of thing for this guy to be like, look, I'm part of the team. So the guy who's actively trying to cure everyone and solve the situation just gets bustled along like cattle. Okay. And then you have the core, you know family members who are just trying to get outside of the border that's being locked down and it's their struggle and that's the thing so it's it's multiple different ways of looking at how someone respond to a pandemic potential start of a pandemic situation and uh, you know for it's just it it's just So interesting contrasting that with what happened in 2020 because we took such a hands-off approach to coronavirus and we took such a let the states figure it out approach to coronavirus that it kind of feels like a remake of the crazies today. It would be a lot of people going crazy and a lot of government officials calling to find out what the federal government should do and they'd be like, you guys figure it out. And then uh, humans having to find ways to get organized and then protect themselves mm. while different members are compromised and gradually doing it because of distancing issues and all that kind of stuff. So okay. that's the thing that really stuck out to it about, about it to me is, is, is and that's the, the reason why I think it would be something to watch, to revisit. Okay. We did it, I think. I think so. I think that's everything all right all right so thank you everybody thank you everyone
0: for thank you for joining in on the 10th episode of this film not rated wow we've come a long way here so (laughs) no i'm sorry this is like the longest series i've ever been a part of so yeah Yeah.
1: so um remember that we are a branch of the music city drive-in podcast network if you like us go check out some of our other stuff there are different topics of interest and there are different people you know we're excited that we made it to 10 episodes so i wanted to thank you to the people who are hosting us out here on on red circle apple podcasts Uh, remember i'm eric you can find me at high contrast flm
0: i'm curtis you can find me at 90s gamer 407 uh thank you for joining in and uh i hope to see you again
1: i hope to hear you again but we can't do that either because we're not talking to anyone